Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision, and this will be our year-end wrap-up. Of course, with that as tradition, Mr. Arun has gracefully joined joined us um, today so that we can actually catch up. It's been a while since the three of us are together. So let's look back at 2021, the year that is. It's been eventful, and that will be the one word I would use amongst other things. Um, for one, Bradley and myself have published our book, Beyond Good, and Arun also published his book with Max called Restartup. And for our listeners, if you had not picked up either one of them, do do that in your local bookstore or any big book retailers near you. It's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. We did write the books, all of us, during the pandemic, and we published them during the pandemic. Looking back, if we knew what we know now, I often wonder, and we do get asked, would we have changed anything about what we write or how we write it or even when we wrote it? So let's start. Brad, would you have changed anything? I think I would have changed the the maybe the structure a little bit of what we wrote about. And I, I'm sure that if we had had, you know, more of the pandemic um, sort of under wing, we would have written about the impact of it, the economic impact of it quite quite a bit more. But as it was, you know, we, we did sort of foresee that it would last a while, that it would be um, significant in terms of its disruption in our daily lives. And, you know, th there was a lot of things in that chapter where we added the stuff about the pandemic that was very prescient about, you know, where things were going. And so I, I would just, I would have loved to have had more time to, to think about that you know, about the impact of these large structural things that happen in society and what it means and why it matters to businesses. Um, I think if we were to write this again and we were to take into consideration, you know, what's been happening the last couple of years, it would be that, you know, no matter what, business just keeps on moving. That, you know, people that have money will continue to have money. And this gap that it continues to sort of bridge and bifurcate society is just growing. And it's now needed more than ever that people understand that there are systems of connections between us all and what we do and the importance of giving back to the community that you're a part of is incredibly important. And so I think we probably would have doubled down on, on that. And, uh, you know, I look forward to writing more about that. What about you, Arun? What would you change? Well, um... I'm not sure if I would have changed on the content side or 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 the depth of the content side too much. I think I'm I'm fairly happy with the coverage there. Um, and then just for context, uh, we started writing the book um, in April 2020, um, and or late April 2020, and finished writing the book in September 2020. So pretty much at the peak of the COVID, uh, the, the the first uh, first few months of COVID. Um, I completely, I mean, thoroughly enjoyed the process. Spoke to about 49, um, 49, 50 uh, amazing people across the world, practitioners. Um, I couldn't have done it at a better time, primarily because that was max pain time. And people, when they gave us anecdotes, it was like it came across in a very uh, 
powerful way the stories came across very powerful maybe if i had written it in a year in a year's time or maybe if i had written it now they would have probably um gone past the pain point and it wouldn't have been as as emotional as contextual as impactful as the articulation was so i think from from a from that perspective i wouldn't have changed a thing what i felt i could have been done better was the publishing end of the uh, spectrum where you get it out on amazon and kind of get it out for distribution the logistical challenges um that we underestimated massively because uh, the dates were hard to kind of coordinate between the the publishers and and uh, social media kind of uh, uh, marketing and then of course amazon uh, having the stock that 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 coordination took a bit of time um so i think that could have been done better and much more seamlessly in a in a if i can use the word normal world world um i think that uh that is perhaps what i could have uh, done better if if not for covid but otherwise i think um from a coverage perspective and one more thing maybe on the on the content side i think now looking back at the last year year and a half at delphos that i've spent i think there are some types of capital and the benefits of 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 tapping into them for entrepreneurs that i would have kind of maybe expanded a little bit more i think uh, the world of development finance i wasn't as familiar with that space until um un- until i i kind of joined uh, delphos so i i now understand the role these different types of capital play in actually helping entrepreneurs particularly the ones in emerging markets uh, uh running the firm with a social purpose i think there is uh that part of it is probably something that i would have definitely added to the book but apart from that um i'm pretty pretty happy about it and I found myself nodding as both of you two were talking. Um I do agree. I think we underestimated the amount of work and effort it would take to promote the book after it was done. I thought the hard part was writing. I think getting the word out there during the pandemic when we when our normal access to conferences were cut off. and when the world basically had and so has supply chain issues it was really hard getting books and things to people across the world that was something that we did underestimate and Brad I love your point about you know certain chapters or issues taking more focus we did make a change in the end um adding a little bit more material around impact on different communities because of covid but i think there's a lot more that we could have written and also i think the other part i wish we did a little bit more but it was purely because of timing was some of the newer developments of fintech on communities when we're talking about community fintechs uh the new ones that pop up that address the needs of immigrants that address the needs of lgbtq communities i think a lot of those popped up when we wrapped up our first round of writing so i wish we could have addressed that a little bit more too but all in all it was a really interesting process and i want to give a shout out to a few of our friends who also published their books this year most recently is paolo cironi 
banks and fintech on platform economies. That book just came out in Europe last week, as well as Brett King, The Rise of Techno-Socialism. That also just came out. And a little bit earlier in the year, Cashless, China's Digital Currency Revolution by Richard Turin. So these three books do um, take some time and pick up a copy. If you're looking for good reads during the holidays, I think they are really, really interesting. Looking at different challenges that we face in our society, as well as changes and innovation that's happening in financial services space. Now, in the last two years, I think towards the end of the year, we like to do things around looking back what we've learned this year and looking forward, what do we think is going to happen? But recently, Stessa Cohen wrote something to that effect that really resonated. She said, the past two years has shattered her belief in predictions. For many, if not most of us, the pandemic has made life more unpredictable, but the pandemic didn't change my thinking about predictions. It disrupted the way I've approached my life and work. I want to ask the two of you, looking back, did you have any aha moment this year? How would you remember 2021 by? I mean, I had quite a few aha moments, um, through particularly through the recovery phase over the last few months. But uh, one of the, probably the moment that I, I find it funny when I say that's a cherished moment was when I took a selfie standing next to the London Underground on my first day into work after the lockdown. I never thought I I kind of practically relied on it in some sense. I, I, I was, I'm a routine guy and for me getting on a particular train every morning and and going to breath, grabbing some um, some stuff that I need and that's a routine and I'm so routine conscious and when that goes out of the window I, I struggle to keep up I think that was probably the I mean if, through this whole phase that was the big thing but I also see the way things are being done is is a lot more uh, it's changed completely right with, with I mean it's we, we all know this and it's been uh, overdone but work from anywhere right so today I was having a conversation with a friend who was planning to relocate back to India India and we were talking about the pros and cons but the, uh, there is so much in favor of the decision than against the decision now because he can work from anywhere um, and 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 still make the same impact in the in the space that he wants to uh, and, and and I'm sure we're seeing this trend across the world I think that and we'll continue to do so I think those were probably the biggest things for me um, I mean of course I spent a lot more I spend a lot more time at, at home and all that but in terms of how much socializing socializing with people and 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 uh, and having a workplace to go to i think that the, the realization that it meant a lot to me was is perhaps the biggest takeaway for me so so your aha was that uh, you kind of missed a little bit of that routine that separation something like that amazingly so i didn't realize it until i actually went back to it yeah, I, I, I haven't been in, you know, like a physical office environment for seven plus years. And I think it was always so funny when I would go back to Boston <clears throat> when I was at something there and, and go into my office. And, you know, it was almost like a guest office. I always felt like I wasn't really supposed to be there. Um, I, I think, you know, the last 
the last couple of years, you, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about, you know, who your friends really are and the importance of, um, you know, not just the routine activities, but your ability to reinvent and your ability to, you know, really almost like learn from the people around you and learn from your children in terms of resilience. And there's a lot of things I know I still need to work on, but I think the the, the first year of this, I think we were all just in such a daze and then we started to get used to it and we started to build our own resilience in different ways. And, you know, I, I know that the last time the three of us were together, we talked about things like, you know, health habits and these type of things. And I think I've, I've rediscovered, you know, the second year of this pandemic, you know, a little bit of that health um, track that I really needed to stay on. And so I've, I've been happy about that, but I still think that a, we are like going through a global like a set of, of mental crises. And I think that being apart from not just routine, but from the ability to travel and the ability to just be in larger groups and to just experience life like normal, quote unquote, really has done damage to people's psyches. And, you know, I, I see it in myself, but I see it in a lot of people in the way they act and the way they've changed. And I, I, I wish that as much as personally people have been impacted by this, that, you know, the things that we write about and the things that we care about and the business models that we tear apart, that that would get better. You know, that somehow that would have changed some of the, the normal. When some of the normal things, you know, that we talk about and write about, really haven't changed that much. If anything, you know, some of these things have gotten worse and it's like, come on. So, you know, I, I think that we, we just need the globe to be like shaken a little bit like a snow globe and for us to sort of like settle a bit. But with this new variant and everything else, it's like, you know, uncertainty is here to stay. It's just in a different format. So lots of things to work on, but uh, it is what it is. What about you? Aha, Theo. <laughs> well, I'm still waiting to read to to pick up my health habits. Kudos to you. Um, I had not been able to do that. So as such, I actually appreciate the fact that I had not met anyone in person, but I do need to pick up on that. I think perspective, perspective, right? I think last year, this time, when we got together, we thought, well, you know, yes, looking forward to 2021, things are going to get better. 2021 came and it's almost gone. I had no idea what happened this year. It almost feels like we were settling in a new normal, but yet it is not a new normal. Um, I still feel like I'm in a haze most of the time. It doesn't help that kiddos were at home um, for nine months, which they didn't get back to school until September. But it, it brought about two things. Um, one is I spent a lot of time the last six plus years looking at longevity, looking at how we can use technology to help people live better and more become more financially secure in the later years. One of the things I've learned, or perhaps I should have known all along, is that we actually need to move that further upfront. It is important to look at the, the needs of older adults, but it is even more important to get them to equity before they get older. 
Because when we're thinking about life expectancy, one of the things I like to talk a lot about is how humans in general have gained an extra 30 healthy living years since the beginning of 1900s. That's a stat I've used a lot of times and I still use it, but devil in the details. If you look in the United States, people that have access to healthcare, people that have access to time to exercise or, you know, money to get food, healthy food, the longer life expectancy is 87 compared to those in counties that are less well off, that are less fortunate, that do not have access to the healthcare that they need, to the services that they need, their life expectancy is 67. You're looking at just within the United States, that gap is staggering. And that gap was even more evident during the last two years during COVID, when we saw people who did not have access to, to the critical care that they need, and hence they suffered different outcome than many of us. And so I think that was one of the big moments, realizing that the, the work on older adults needs to continue, must continue, but is even more crucial for us to move that needle further upstream to get people to more equitable states before they get older. I think that was that was one thing I learned. And the second thing I learned, I think, um, is I had not seen my parents for two years almost, and it sucks. It's hard. And it's hard to especially start thinking about now that they're in the late 70s, and you start counting backwards how many more times you might actually be able to get with them. And that number decreases as I keep getting stuck here because of, you know, the difficulty in traveling to a region that has really strict quarantine requirements. And it, and then you start thinking about, you know, not just only the vulnerability of human lives, but also, you know, the connection, right? How much can you actually keep that connection alive between my kids and my parents? And that sucks. That's, it's awful. So those are my two moments. I'm hoping that 2022 will be different. Um, I have made mental plans that I don't care how long I'm going to have to get stuck in a quarantine hotel. I am going to go. Um, like, you guys may not hear from me for five weeks or however long, but I will make sure that I can cross the ocean because that is important. Um, but brings back to Stessa's point, right, about life changing, about being hard to adjust when things are so unpredictable. One thing that is almost predictable in the fintech space is the amount of money that's been coming in. It's staggering. Um, and it doesn't look like it's stopped. I, mean, I remember when the three of us first spoke in the beginning of COVID, this is like almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, we had talked about potentially economic downturn and potentially, you know, what's going to happen to funding, what's going to happen to startup scene. I think I've, I've been proven wrong. <laughs> it seems like the, the drive powder just keeps coming. And you see unicorn after unicorns, especially in Asia and in India, for example, that's just been nonstop. Looking at all the development in the space, 
looking at all of the companies that have been able to get funding, looking at the buzz of the year, what is your favorite fintech trend for this year? What do you think is the most hyped? I think for me, um, uh, the thing that's the hashtag that's flown too far too much uh, for my liking is BNPL. I, I'm not a big fan, uh, although I see there is potential there which needs to be uh, kind of um, tamed a little bit to 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 address the the right kind of customer that that it could really benefit, but. BNPL clearly has been the hottest hashtag, fintech hashtag of the year. Uh, but I, I really think um, embedded fintech is probably my, if I have to pick one, it will be embedded fintech. Because um, in countries where there's not been a traditional financial system, or banking system, payment system, um, the way um, some of these um, digital mobility platforms of have provided fintech solutions where agri-tech platforms have provided fintech solutions and uh, and it kind of coincided this this year coincided with my my time at delphos which through which i i had the opportunity to meet several entrepreneurs fintech entrepreneurs or agro fintech entrepreneurs across the world uh fishery fintech entrepreneurs where people are providing infrastructure for fisheries or um, um smes actually focusing on fishery fisheries and uh, and there is a fintech angle that there's a lending angle there um uh, freight uh, digital freight um and 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 that's cl clearly a hot segment for fintech lending because these smes have a working capital gap um uh, when they're serving big organizations such as coca-cola coca-cola really don't care about their payment terms so they have their 90-day payment term and the sme prefers next day payment uh, or immediate payment um, and and that's a big big financing opportunity there so several of these embedded fintech use cases have uh, um, i've been i've been pretty closely talking to and, um, and and discussing the opportunities there with several of these um, entrepreneurs i think that's been the probably the most fascinating journey for me through this year um yeah so apart from the cool bnpl i think this is where the meaningful change through fintech is happening yeah i i don't know if it's the 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 topic or not in terms of you know the fintech investing and the types of things that they're investing in but it's the where which is really interesting to me the fact that we're seeing more in africa we're seeing more in more varied parts of asia and you know when when you look at you know what's happening in india in terms of development and access to payments and platforms for credit and these type of things the impact of large platforms across new places I think is really the most interesting thing that's developed over the last couple of years. I, I think, you know, if anything, venture has, you know, figured out finally that, you know, 80 some odd percent of all deals don't have to origin, originate in Sand Hill Road, you know, in terms of Silicon Valley and, and this disruption in the economic flow of capital to other places, not just, you know, where it ends up, but where it originates from, I think, has been really fascinating to watch. And, and I think it's finally a positive change in venture, uh, is that this, this grip that Silicon Valley has always sort of had on capital has been really ripped apart. And to be honest, the people that have moved to Miami and places like that, you know, that's great because Silicon Valley is going to be just fine. Um, the other stuff, you know, in, in terms of the, 
the what I think has been interesting to watch this past year. It's not so much, you know, um, the iteration of credit, but it's the the fact that the business model continues to be pulled from traditional banks and incumbents. And whether it's a large platform or whether it's, you know, 15 flavors of, you know, credit versus payments or neobank or what have you, the fact that more relationships are being pulled away from, you know, the mothership of banking, I think is actually in some ways a good sign that banks will finally continue to adapt to this new normal. And hopefully they will entrench themselves in working on building customer value in new ways rather than continue to build extractive um, ways to take more money from people. Because I think that's all that banks have. They have trust, they have size, they have a regulatory environment that really favors them. And if they are smart, if they have the right strategy, they will realize that all of these things that are happening actually benefits them. And maybe, maybe the model will change back in the customer's favor because it's not going back in the box. Um, so if you're a banker out there and you're listening, if you're anywhere in the incumbent set of platforms or technology players or any of that, now's the time to double down on customer relationships and understand that it's not about product, it's not about a solution, it's about how you are impacting that family, that individual, that business. Um, because FinTech ain't going away. If anything, man, it is just, you threw the gas on it the last two years. And we've seen some of that, though, haven't we, Brad? Because, uh, for example, recently there were news about banks relooking at the fee structures and looking at, you know, what they charge customers and removing some of them. And I would... I would venture a guess that if it wasn't because the fintech's been making a lot of noise and saying, you know, what they will not charge and how they're increasing transparency of of what they provide to consumers, I would think the banks would just keep doing what they have been doing. So, you know, there there is a little bit of positive influence there. And I I like also, as mentioned before, I, I like what we've been seeing with regard to new fintechs that pop up that address needs that many banks had not thought about, for example, those that have been recently released from prisons and the fact that they had not been able to get financial services. And now there are fintechs out there looking at specifically that segment. That is welcoming. I still think there's a lot that needs to be done, though. Moving money across border, God, it still takes forever and it's still expensive. Um, I had a friend of mine, his daughter recently moved to Spain for a year. And seeing him just trying to figure out how he can cost effectively send her money on a monthly basis is painful to watch. Um, and, you know, obviously we all know about our little story on how I still have to write checks. I actually just wrote two yesterday, one for my retirement account that I have to snail mail because that's the only way they take money. And the other one that I had to write myself a check to pay myself because that's much faster. Oh, come on, could I, could I tell my little mini story? Yes, tell yours. So, so we're finally starting to get money from, from the book, right? The first royalty payments have come in. Well, for whatever reason, I think it's because I bank at a credit union, um, the information that I provided did not allow for an electronic transfer. And so lo and behold, I get a paper check. And as much as I love the people at our publisher, um, the, the paper check is in pounds. How am I supposed to do this when mobile 
deposit doesn't allow for that. And my credit union doesn't have physical locations. And I also am a USAA member and I can't deposit it there because they won't take pounds in the mobile deposit and they don't have branches. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out a week later how to do this. And the other day I was talking to uh, Paul Loberman, my good friend out of the UK. Of course, he's in that market. And I asked how, among all the fintech apps that we have, who would it be? Would it be Wise? Would it be like, you know, an investment app like a Robinhood? Who could it possibly be that I could do a deposit of this, especially mobily? Because Lord knows nobody has a physical location. So I honestly think I'm going to have to take this to like a, a Chase or somebody else that I have a, a different, you know, credit relationship with and go cash it at a physical branch because I have no way of doing this. So if you're listening out there and you're part of FinTech or the incumbents or anybody else who has any any idea about how to actually take something that's physical in pounds and squeeze it through some sort of mobile device to be able to turn it into dollars, please let us know. I was going to say, I would be more than happy to talk to the publisher, reissue it in my name and my account. I'll just charge you for a modest fee. That would work. <laughs> I think you probably would. And, and I would actually pay it at this point. Well, I mean, we, we have our challenges, don't we, when we, when we work with clients across border. I mean, the, the fees on top of fees that we get charged just to get paid. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's so, so there are a lot of things to fix in banking, that's for sure. So <laughs> in the next year, we'll be able to do things like that. Well, yes. Hopefully next year, we can actually physically go see people and have them. We got paid in cash once. Did you remember, Brad? We got paid in an envelope cash. <laughs> uh, but Theo, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that we're having this conversation, particularly with uh, Brad sitting in the West Coast, because... I'm sure you've had this experience when, when you, you visited uh, China. But the last time I was in India, it was earlier in Q1 this year. I wasn't, yeah, I was, I was in a cab and the guy didn't have any cash on him. And he's like, do you have Google Pay? Do you have phone pay? Do you have Paytm? I'm like, no, I don't have all of them integrated into my phone because this is a UK phone. He's like, no, sorry, I don't take cash. Thankfully, I had a 500 rupees note, which is not a lot of money in this part of the world. It's loads of money there and it was a 200 rupees right i didn't have change he didn't have change i had to work out giving him the 500 rupees he 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 made 300 or i mean 300 more than what he should have so yeah so it it just was surprising that you brad you had to go through that experience sitting in yeah, the innovation I, hub of the world well i mean come on that's that's the thing about silicon valley that i think is the you know, when people say, oh, well, you're Silicon Valley, like you're riding around and like flying cars and stuff out there. And I'm like, no, no, it's no different than anywhere else. We just like to spend money on everything around the world. Well, we, I think Silicon Valley likes to spend um, digital money that, that you can't see, vapor money, if you will. I, I did remember, Brad, when you and I were in uh, Shanghai. Or Hongju, I can't remember now. It was Shanghai where the, the cab story yeah. starts. Yeah. Oh my God, Shanghai, yes. The, the cab driver was screaming at me in Mandarin. And I, I had no idea what he said, thankfully. And it wasn't until later that I found out apparently he was upset. I had to pay him in cash because I don't have any other means. The, the um, DD app didn't take our foreign credit card. And um, there was no other means to pay it. So, you know, us from the US, we had to transact in paper money 
I, I think there are still so many aspects of our lives that are just in paper. And truthfully, I don't mind sometimes, especially with kids. I want them to feel that when their wallet is empty, they cannot buy any more stuff. When they actually have to physically take a $20 bill out, it hurts a little bit. It makes them think for at least five seconds, should I be spending it? Because I've seen them with their watch when they're in Hong Kong that they did not have to think and how it just racks up their expenses. So I think there, there are things that um, we could definitely improve and change upon. Are, are we going to have cross-border payment issues when it comes to the metaverse? Arun, tell me this isn't true. What's going to happen here? Cross-border payment payment issues in uh, on the metaverse. Um, there's no border. I hope not. I mean, does, are there any borders? <laughs> is, is the, the, is the metaverse going to be borderless? Aren't we going to have like little I tribes? So. I hope so, and jurisdictionless, and uh, that's the point, right? I mean, uh, uh, it's and 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 I think we are now getting um, Theo very uncomfortable on this topic, but. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm really hoping that would be a flat world. We will not probably have all these different currencies that we need to deal with, uh, correspondent banks that we need to deal with. Uh, yeah, I really hope that's the that's the world we we'll be moving towards. I mean, when it came to Second Life, they had bank branches, you know, and and when you look at Roblox, you know, and some of their stuff, they actually have physical bank branches, and you could go and so buy stuff. Do you know any high street banks that have actually in Second Life? Presence? Oh right, okay. In the metaverse, oh, I mean, why, not? Why, why wouldn't they? Because this is all going to be about brands. That's all that the metaverse is. It's you're going to be floating around playing games, and then you're going to be buying stuff, and you're going to be spending money and all the rest. I mean, can we not fake things on, on like you know, real, real <laughs> Earth where mortals are before we start shooting ourselves in space or you know wearing like little goggles and transiting in in a super virtual quick world? question to you? I know we are we are digressing here, but. Digress. We don't digress. We never digress. 1990s, you were running a business, you're meeting someone, you're handing over uh, your business card to that person. And you say, by the way, I also have a website. Do you think you would have felt that was important? No. Um, I, did, I do still do business cards. I love business cards. And I did no, have that's a fine. Business cards still have some relevance. But yeah. if you don't have a website or a LinkedIn presence or a Twitter presence, you don't really exist in the world. In nineties, in the nineties, I think it was mostly still emails. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm maybe I'm getting the years wrong, but uh, I, I hope I, 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 I the, the point is about at the start of the world wide web, nobody yeah. thought presence I, on I, the digital on on the net was important. Now it's on the chain. Um, present on the chain well and until oculus or some other device like is working on a mac i'm not going to be using it i'll be like in some other like metaverse that isn't controlled by zuckerberg and his friends and ads exactly and i'll quote my kids my wonderful little children uh, <laughs> who can be monsters sometimes but they told me both of them actually they hated the year and a half that they spent doing virtual school because they did not want to see their friends through the screens. It got so bad to the point in the end where my daughter refused to turn on the camera. She turned it off. And she is much happier now, both of them in school, even though they keep their mask on and, you know, they keep their distance and stuff, but at least they could see people in person. And what they told me is this is not, they, they don't, they could not relate to people 
on the screen. They couldn't relate to their friends, even though they were friends before the pandemic started. They didn't feel any emotional ripple, if that's even like makes sense. And we're talking about little kids, right? The the so-called digital natives that all the banks are running after because they got done with millennials. They skipped over Gen X, and now there are Gen Zs and whatever Gen after that. So. If we were to borrow that from how kids feel, I think that, as much as metaverse might be the buzzword for 2022, we'll still need humans. Anyway, so it's good、uh, digress and segue. What do you look forward to in the new year, Jens? Normalcy. Normalcy. I would li- love to get my routine back. Oh, I love routines. Not,、yes. not too many lockdowns. No masks.、Uh, I would still love a hybrid life, which is I would love to work from home when I have to, and I, I see that organizations are happier there. The hybrid world、uh, adds some cost efficiencies as well. But I would definitely want to be at work when I have to be at work, not at home. So I, that's how I define my normalcy, and of course, kids going to school just have a boring year without any events. Just feel we are on a stable footing. I don't want a fancy,、uh, fancy year with Bitcoin going to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I'm happy with sixty five seventy, but I really would prefer a stable, stable twenty twenty two, an eventful one. What about you, Brad? Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so many things.、Um, I do absolutely miss people, and you know, I don't necessarily miss large crowds of people.、Uh, I miss sitting down with someone and just having that conversation. There's so many people that I miss, and you know, you you could just like your your kids in, in the story that you were saying. It's like it's not the same. It's not the same to talk to somebody like this, you know, and to To not be able to sit down with them and not be able to, you know, understand how they're feeling by being in their presence, so that that's one huge thing that I I hope somehow comes back to a little bit more like it was.、Uh, I don't think anything is is going to be normal necessarily because I think that's sort of the the way that life is. But、um, the other thing that I think is Has been missing so much is just that that sense of community because your community has shrunk, and、uh, you know it's it's not this mass thing, but when when you have been afraid in some ways over the last two years and different things, and you worry about your kids, and you worry about the virus, and you worry about the economy, and you worry about politics a little bit less maybe lately. Well, actually not, and you think about you know the the future, and it's like. The thing that I hope、um, changes more is that people can and are able to get out and to move around, and for you to see your parents, and for Arun to go home, and you know to be able to see my father and the rest of our family.、Um, that's just being together. I think is so critical in terms of our mental health and in terms of just how close you feel to people. So. I'd, I'd also, you know, just, just, I hope <laughs> that as we quote unquote return back to work, that more people are given the flexibility because I think that, you know, right now it's it's the time 
<clears throat> that workers need to sort of usurp that power that they have in their lives of controlling a little bit more about how they work and where they work and what they're working on. Because I think more people need to have more meaningful work, more well-paid work. And uh, that, that will go a long way toward making things more equitable. I hope we can spend more of our attention and dollars not just worshiping how certain privileged folks are able to shoot themselves up to space, but more so the rest of us mortals that are on Earth. Um, I hope we can pay more attention to the one place that we live in because there's no plan B. Arun, I hope that you can pick back up your book, The Last Proposal that you had, because I don't know who you were talking to, but focusing on climate, focusing on sustainability. It is not just an on point, but also an essential topic. Um, it is our existence. It's not just for us, not just for our children, but also for generations after. There's not another planet that we can count on and rely on. And I do, I do hope, Brad, to your point, that we can get to a more equal future. I fear that in a lot of places we are going in the opposite direction and i hope somehow this is just a um, pendulum swinging and it can go back to actually taking care of people and on the topic of future work i hope that we are not paying attention only to the white collar workers who have the flexibility of being back in the bank branch the office or working from home but also those who are essential that are frontline that they do not have another option but yet Hope that we can actually figure out ways for them to have different pathways to pursue something different, to have the benefits that they that they deserve. A lot of times, especially in the United States, if you're a gig worker, not only you're paid minimal wage or potentially even less than minimal wage, depends on where you are, but you have no access to benefits. You have no access nor pathways to long-term financial well-being. There's no retirement plan. There's no healthcare plan, and if these people are truly the essential ones that are providing us with services, by God, please pay them. Um, and let's hope for normalcy, Arun. I don't think I'll ever complain about boring anymore because apparently boring was nice. Boring was normal. And um, just the freedom of being able to know that you can meet people when you want to and travel if you need to. I, I think I would love to have a little bit of that back. And I do miss people. I miss the two of you. So with that being said, let's end this in a good note. Let's hope for a better, more normal, more boring, and more connected and inclusive and empathetic 2022. Thank you so much, all of you, for listening in to us, Yaking. And thank you for sticking with us through the last three years. I lost track how many episodes we have made, but we appreciate you and have a wonderful new year. <laughs>